0: Well, I always feel after we set up for VBS like I probably should have preached something topically related to this, but I didn't. So um, we're talking about food in the Bible this summer. This has really nothing to do with food except for the fish food that's up here. And uh, we're going to talk about milk today. Milk is a symbol used... Uh, A number of times in the Bible, not as much as some of the other food symbols that we've been looking at recently, um, but still a number of times, and mainly in two different categories. Number one, milk is used as a symbol of God's blessing. Uh, Has anybody ever had milk that, that is really fresh, like milk right from a cow or pretty quickly after the cow anybody had? It is very strong tasting. It is very, very strong tasting. Uh, we we, we kind of miss out on that because we normally get milk at the store, but if you ever get milk from the farm, uh, it's a little bit different. It's very sensuous, very flavorful. And so in these times when food was much more bland, where you ate a lot of bread, where you ate a lot of fish, a lot more bland food, uh, milk would be something very, very special. And what else does milk give you? Well, milk can give you butter. Milk can give you cheeses. Milk can give you curds. And the, the Israeli people, who were a lot of shepherds in that time, would have had a number of goats and would have had milk. Have you ever in your home tried to cook and been out of milk? Or out of butter? Milk and butter unlock a whole bunch of other foods for you, right? I can't tell you how many times we start making something at my house and then I've got to run down and get butter because we don't have any. Or get milk because we don't have any. It is critical to so many other recipes that you have milk or butter. And so, in those days, uh, very often milk was a symbol of God's blessing, of God's abundance. The The uh, promised land is called again and again and again what? Anybody remember? The land of milk and honey, right? Because honey has some a similar effect. Honey in those days would have been like the ketchup of its day. I mean, it was the thing you could add to food to make sweet. And milk would have been a blessing. So when when the Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush, he says this, Exodus 3, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And when God promises that land to them, He says it's going to be flowing with milk. Lots of milk. Why? Because that's a symbol of blessing. Not just going to get, have to eat bread. Now you can have some cheese. Now you can have some other things. Joel in Joel chapter 3 similarly says this about Israel. Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains will drip sweet with wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water in the valley of Shittim. So milk is part of God's promise. For Israel. It's a symbol of blessing. And haven't we been blessed that God has given us so much, but most importantly, that God has given us Jesus, that He has taken care of the problems, the sin, the brokenness in our lives. And so, so milk is, especially in this old the Old Testament, a symbol of blessing, a symbol that God is doing something good for us. That symbol, though, of milk, is also in the Bible a symbol of expectation. That because we are blessed, God expects something of us. And I think God expects two things from us that we see in this symbol of milk. Purity and maturity. Purity and maturity. Now, to be very clear, the blessings of God come to us before we are pure and before we're mature. God gives us His blessing, His grace, way before we ever earn it. We never earn it. But because we are blessed, God expects something of us. God expects purity. If you think about it, in in a lot of the world, there's really not that much white. I mean, the color white is really a pretty strong color. If you go to Israel, you're not going to find a lot of white. There's a, a lot of brown. There's not a lot of white stones. In those days, there were not a lot of white teeth. In fact, in Genesis 49, in a blessing to Judah, talking about Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, it says, his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So if you were in good shape, you would be blessed, you would be pure, and you would see that in the whiteness of your teeth. Lamentation says this in chapter 4, of Israel, talking about how Israel has failed. And in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is just complaining about how Israel has fallen from its place. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. I set you apart, Israel. I mean, God has set Israel apart, made them to be pure, whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than coal, the beauty of their form was like sapphire, now their face is blacker than soot. They they are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on the bones. It has become as dry as wool. So in in Lamentations, Israel is meant to be pure. Pure like white milk. And yet, they have fallen. And so God expects purity from us. The, the, The author, Jeremiah, is lamenting that this has happened. Not only purity, but God expects maturity. And this is where the the, the theme of milk gets used most in the New Testament. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing to young Christians, saying, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter's expectation is when you are an early Christian, you should hunger for God like babies hungering for milk. You ever been around a baby that's hungry? I've had four of them. They're annoying. They scream. They yell. They want milk. They want it now. And Peter uses this example... Which everyone has seen, right? Everybody, whether you had kids or not, have been around babies that get hungry. And he says, you should long for spiritual milk. So if we think of the journey of a Christian as sort of a line or a continuum here, when you're early on in your faith, Peter uses milk as an example to say, you should be hungry for it. You should be hungry to learn, hungry to take things in, hungry to mature. Perhaps Paul is thinking this same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's writing the church of Corinth because he planted that church. Paul used to move around and plant church and stay a year or two maybe, and then he'd move on and other people would come in. And he's really frustrated with the Corinthians because they think that they are really super spiritual, like they've got it all together. But but Paul points out to them that you really don't have it all together. And I can tell you how you don't have it all together. Because of the weird stuff you're putting up with ethically. He said, all this stuff's going on and you're letting it happen. You are way off base. And then you're fighting amongst yourselves over stupid things. Where there are some important things you should be dealing with. After describing this a little bit in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this. But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people. Remember, they think that they're being super spiritual. He says, I can't even address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, not, uh, you are, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul takes Peter, his idea. probably writing before Peter, but it's the same idea. That when you're a young Christian, what you need is milk. You need basics. And you should be hungry for basics. But Paul's expectation is that you mature. You go on from milk to start eating things like meat. Okay, if, if I went into Applebee's right now, and my whole family ordered food, and I just ate cereal and drank a bottle, I would look ridiculous. But I can't tell you how many Christians I feel do that exact same thing. They start walking along in their faith and they just sort of stop one day. All right, I've got as much as I need to get through my life. No, Paul's saying to those Christians, you got to keep maturing. You got to keep growing. I can't give you the meat. I can't give you the mature stuff because you're stuck on milk. You're not moving and you need to be and you think that you are. Hebrews says something similar in Hebrews chapter 5. There are these teachers that are going around and giving false teachings. And the author of Hebrews writes to correct these things that are damaging the faith. And in chapter 5 says this. About this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You got something in your ears, the author of Hebrews says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness, since he is still a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The author of Hebrews says this same kind of thing. You can't be stuck drinking milk. You've got to move on to maturity. In the Bible, that means the Holy Spirit does that. It, it, the Holy Spirit teaches you. But we see in Hebrews and we see in 1 Corinthians that this involves both knowledge and behavior. Okay, for, for both the author of Hebrews and for Paul and Corinthians, he's saying you ought to be learning deeper truths. You ought to be moving on to deeper stuff. You ought to be growing in your knowledge of God, in your knowledge of God's word, and your behavior ought to change. You ought to look different in your attitude and behavior than you do than you did before, because God is continuing to move and mature you. Church called Willow Creek out of Chicago. Um, has been a leader in the church for a long time. And, and a while back, they did a study called the Reveal Study. And they wanted to look at their church people and see how they were growing. And so they, they sort of, it, through statistical methods, found four stages of the Christian faith. Now, this is not exact. You kind of meander back and forth through these. But generally, people are some people are exploring Christ. They're not really Christians. They've never really made a commitment to Christ. Um, but they're kind of seeking Christ. And at some point, maybe it's a process, maybe it's a one-time thing, but they move into growing to Christ. They sort of become Christians. And then over time, they keep coming to what we would call close for Christ, what Reveal calls close for Christ. And then eventually, as people mature, they become more Christ-centered, which means Christ becomes central and the the center living point of their whole lives. (laughs) What Willow Creek found was that their church is very good at the beginning. And they were the first church, one of the first churches to do real seeker-sensitive stuff. So they built their worship services around getting people who were not Christians in. What they found was a lot of their Christians were not sticking around after a certain point. And so they began to study why people mature. What causes people to mature in the faith? They looked at things like personal practices, beliefs and attitudes, organized church activities. And here's what they found. And get this, because this is so vital. Church can be really helpful when you're young in your faith. Because you don't know stuff. And so you come to church and you get it. You get it in the hymns, you get it in the liturgy, you get into the sermons. Now church is always important, but the, the problem is the further along you go in the faith, the less church can cause you, can be a catalyst for growth. It's still important. It's still a baseline. But, but at a certain point, it doesn't help you grow anymore. At a certain point, if you're going to move from milk to meat, some other things have to take place in your life. <laughs> like Bible reading. What they found is, when, when they did studies of people moving through spiritual maturity, every single time, people's view of the Bible as authoritative, in other words, we have to listen to it, and people's engagement with the Bible was critical. All along this process, every time somebody moved, one of the things that they did was they got into their Bible a little bit more. But see, the the church only really helps you in here. And so you know what happens? The church only tends to keep people here then because a lot of people don't mature. Let me say it as clearly as I possibly can. If... Sunday morning is the only spiritual meal that you have in your week. You are spiritually starving yourself. This Sunday morning is not enough to help you grow spiritually. It can take you a little bit. It can be a real strength in difficult times. But at some point, if you're going to move from milk to meat, you've got to start doing that on your own. You've got to start opening your Bible. Well, you've got to start, one of the things they found in this process that becomes important is spiritual friendships. In other words, people you are sharing your journey with. It's one thing to just sit in church and then go our separate ways. It's another thing to have people close to you that you are talking about spiritual things with. And you know what I notice? Sunday morning has almost no opportunity for that. That has to be done elsewhere or very intentionally when you're here. Service is important in this process. Early on for the Christians, it's service in the church. So we we become greeters, we help out with hospitality, but you know what? As people mature, they found that, that the real meat is serving outside the church. It's finding other places to serve. And so you know what happens? The church gets really narrow bandwidth, really narrow on this path, because people who are not Christians, who cuss a lot and who you know, don't really have a lot of stuff together. They don't feel comfortable here and they tend to not come. And then people who, then there's kind of like a stopping point where people don't mature past that because they're reliant on the church for their spirituality. And there's a certain point where the church can't help you grow anymore. It helps you sustain. It's an important baseline. I don't want to say stop going to church. That's not the point. The point is that the church is not enough to help you grow past a certain point. The church is good for milk, it's good for cereal, you want to eat steak, you got to start diving in on your own and in small groups even a little bit more. Because ultimately what this whole process about, the real meat of the faith is becoming Christ-like and Christ-centered. That you start to live your life, your work, you start to manage your family, you start to manage your finances, you start to live everything with Christ involved in that. And I'm telling you, an hour a week isn't going to get you there. We want to move on to maturity. So my question for you this morning is, where are you at? Are you, drink, are you eating some meat now in your faith? Or have you been stuck at milk and cereal a little too long? Time to get off the bottle and move on to some steak. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. That you have called us, called us to mature, called us to be Christ-centered, that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We are thankful for your love and your blessing for us. Help us to respond by becoming pure and mature. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.